This past week, I read an article um, from CNN that claimed 2020, there was a 33% increase in violent crime in major cities. Uh, even Springfield had a record-breaking year when it came to homicide last year, ending somewhere around 20 this year. In 2021, the Springfield community is already on track to break that record. You can't turn on the news without hearing, it seems, every week about another mass shooting. We even had one. Uh, just south of West Plains yesterday, I can't pronounce the name of that town, but at a gas station and convenience store. There's rarely a week that passes by where some case of child endangerment or sex trafficking doesn't come across our news screen locally. And it's heartbreaking to think of what children and women are going through in our own community and our own neighborhoods. Racism continues to thrive in our community, throughout our nation, even reaching into churches and causing great division. And I'll be completely honest with you, this is an area that weighs heavy on me as a pastor as I consider what's happening in our country. Post-traumatic stress plagues many who have been abused physically, many who have been abused sexually, emotionally, soldiers returning uh, from war zones, first responders returning from uh, tragic scenes dealing with these particular issues. Suicide numbers continue to rise amongst nearly every age level. The most troubling seems to be amongst our youth, teenagers, young adults. Many this year are grieving the loss of loved ones from this past year. Uh, many of them as a result of the coronavirus and many grieving the loss and death of others that they couldn't even be with because of restrictions, alone, in a, alone in, a, uh, in a hospital, alone in a nursing home center. Marriages continue to struggle as husbands or wives choose to walk away, maybe sometimes involved adultery and cheating on one another, and that scenario so often leaves one parent scrambling to try to make ends meet for the kids that are left in the wake of what's going on. In our own community, Kids go to bed hungry every night. They get up and they go to the school the next day with dirty clothes, dirty themselves because there's no one really there to take care of them. And they may come home and they may try to take a shower, but the water's been cut off. They may try to turn on the heat and the gas has been shut off. They try to flip the light switch and nothing. It's darkness. And that's the word that really does describe our world. Darkness. It's a biblical word that Scripture uses to describe the state of our world. It's a world of darkness. Murder, shooting, sex trafficking, abuse, hatred, racism, division, post-traumatic stress, drug abuse, suicide, grief, death, divorce, hunger, depression, gender confusion, Abortion, cancer, anxiety, all of these and more describe the darkness that is our world. 
the darkness that, that our, our neighbors, our family, our co-workers live with. Sin and the ongoing depravity of man continues to plunge this creation, humanity, into deeper and darker darkness. In his final letter, Paul writes this to Timothy, and I've got some of these on the screen for you this morning so you don't have to turn there, but he says this, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. There will be perilous times. For people will be lovers of self. They'll be lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And later he promises that persecution is going to come. And in verse 13 he says this, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Isaiah, hundreds of years before Paul would write this, would write and describe the world that has rejected God in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 21. And he says this, They will pass through the land and they will be greatly distressed and hungry. And when they're hungry, they'll be enraged and they'll speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And they'll turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness. The gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. In this text, Isaiah suggests to us that those who are struggling often look to the earth. But when we look to the earth, we only find more distress, more darkness. All of the problems and pain that we've listed, the things that we've mentioned already it's not as if they don't go unnoticed. People notice. Uh, people uh, in our world try to draw attention to hurting people and they'll, they'll, they'll show us commercials. They'll try to do fundraisers. And there's others uh, who will go even beyond that and try to find some sort of solution to the problems that plague humanity. And, and I am grateful for those who notice and I'm grateful for those who try to find some sort of a solution to the problem. But as Isaiah writes, our solutions typically only deepen the darkness. The world of psychology helps us temporarily, but gives no lasting hope. It points nobody to a Savior. Sociology might help us better understand the dynamics of the criminal behavior, poverty, Racism, but the solutions fall far short. Most look today to the government, the world of politics, to fix problems in our society. We look to, to politicians to be the savior of our, our culture, the, the savior of our economy, etc. Yet, time and time again, they fail to create the, the change that they promise. G. Campbell Morgan pastor once said this, Jesus looking out over the multitudes of his day saw the corruption, the disintegration of life at every point, its breakup, its spoliation. And he saw them also wrapped in gloom and sitting 
in darkness, groping amidst mists and fogs. And he knew that they needed, above everything else, light. Light. A world of darkness needs light. And I understand that so far this is not a great sermon to follow up Easter, right? This isn't very encouraging. But understand this has been a sermon. Technically, this was a a series of about three or four sermons that I was going to do that I'm compressing into one for months now. And uh, so if you would turn with me, or you can follow along on the screen if you'd like, to Isaiah chapter 9. I want to look at some scriptures with you together before we get to our main text today. Isaiah chapter 9. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. We're just coming off the heels of chapter 8 where they are plunged into thick darkness. And notice chapter 9 verse 1, Isaiah writes, But there will be no gloom for her who was within anguish. And the former things have brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, heaven of the nations. Notice verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. There will be no more need. Why? For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. To the people who walked in great darkness, light has come. Turn with me to John chapter 1, if you would. The Gospel of John chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made, and in Him was life. And notice what it says there in verse 4. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
Verses 9 through 13 will come in handy in just a moment, and so keep those in your mind. But as Jesus' ministry began, he would make significant claims about himself, significant claims that would get him in trouble time and time again. And in John chapter 8, in verse 12, he makes this claim. Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus claims that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. Jesus claims that everything that John has said already is true. He is the light who has come into the world of darkness. In chapter 9, verse 5 in John, he would say this, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In these verses, Jesus claims to be the light that Israel failed to be. There's a couple verses there on your bulletin that you can look at in Isaiah where Israel was called to be a light, but they failed. They refused to be that light. And so Jesus came to provide that light. Jesus came to provide salvation that Israel couldn't provide. Jesus, the light of the world, entered this world of darkness so that he might bring justice to the oppressed. So that he might bring healing to those who are in pain. So that he might bring hope to the hopeless. So that he might bring riches to the poor. Jesus, the light of the world, came to fix what our sin has broken in our own lives and in the lives of others. On the cross and by way of the empty tomb, he has, as we discussed last week, begun a new creation. A new creation. And if we're gathered here today and you, you claim to be a part of that new creation, then remember this verse. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. But there was some strange wording in one of those verses. John chapter 9, verse 5. Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And it's that as long as I'm in the world part that stuck out to me as I was considering that verse. Because Jesus is no longer walking the streets of Jerusalem. Jesus is no longer going from village to village throughout the Galilean region. He's no longer reaching out and touching lepers and providing food for the hungry masses. And so where does that leave us? Where does that leave a world of darkness that we described in the beginning? Are we just left in the dark? And the answer is no. Absolutely not. This brings us to the text that I wanted to look at with you today, and it's Matthew chapter 5. Verse 14, 15, and 16. And in God's good providential sovereign plan, uh, this is actually the chapter that we're reading together today as a church, if you're following the church reading plan. Matthew chapter 5. Notice verse 14. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but rather on a stand and it gives light to all the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want to pause for a moment and pray before we consider 
these truths together. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Compel us now to be the light that you call us to be, the light that you've made us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin by considering Jesus' opening claim. You are the light of the world. Who's he talking to? Who are the people who are gathered here? In the original context, we understand that it's the disciples. It's his followers. We find these verses in the beginning of what is known as the famous Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has gathered his disciples together. But according to the opening lines of that sermon, the Beatitudes, Jesus is speaking to any and all who have humbled themselves. Jesus is speaking to any and all who have come to an understanding that they are poor in spirit and that they need a Savior, they need a substitute Jesus is speaking to all who have depended upon the sacrifice of Jesus. That verse in John chapter 1 that I said we would think back on is this. To all who did receive Him, to all who received the light, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the sons of God. Jesus is speaking to those who would believe on Him. Those who would follow Him. They are the light of the world. This is an extraordinary claim, isn't it? To be the light of the world. Jesus would say in one point, I am the light of the world. I am the fulfillment of these things. And now he turns around and says, no, you are the light of the world. You, my disciple, and understand this part, you alone are the light of the world. There's not other lights out there for the darkness. You and you alone can remedy the problem of darkness. But how is it that we're light? How has Jesus somehow transferred his light to us? And this is a pretty beefy question that we could take a long time to answer, but thank the Lord we've spent the last few months answering this question. How is that light transferred to us? It's by way of the Holy Spirit. We bear the light of Christ because we possess the Spirit of Christ in us. And so Christ resides in us. And as we keep in step with the Spirit, we are the light of the world. As we produce and grow in the fruit of the Spirit and display that to the world around us, we are the light of the world. As we walk in the Spirit and speak the truths that Jesus would speak to the world around us that's enveloped in darkness, we are the light of the world. Understand, Jesus can't go, or he, he, he will not go and touch the lepers and feed the hungry. He's left us here to do and accomplish those very things that he did and we read about in the gospel accounts. Jesus is no longer physically here in himself, but that's really not a good way to put it because he is physically here. Right here in this room. We are the body of Christ. We're meant to love the way Jesus loved. We're meant to have joy the way Jesus had joy. We're meant to serve and encourage the way Jesus served and encouraged. He has not left the world without light. He's left the world with his church, with his people. So what are the effects of light? I appreciated D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, another pastor from England who died in eight. 1981, he, 
He asks this question and gives three effects. What difference does light make in darkness? One, he says it exposes the darkness and the things that belong to darkness. I mean, you just have to imagine a room where the lights are off and you can't see anything and all of a sudden you turn the light on and now you can see clearly what's in the room or you turn your headlights on and you can see clearly what's coming down the road. See, the perfection of Jesus, that light, reveals the imperfection of ourselves, that darkness. I, I can believe that my room is clean at home and that the bed is made and that my shoes are in the closet and my clothes have been put in my dresser drawer. I can believe that if the lights are off. But when I flip the light switch on and I see, oh, the bed is not made, the shoes are still on the floor and the clothes are not put away, light reveals what is true. It reveals the reality. It exposes what's hidden in the darkness. Second, it explains the cause of darkness. This is where God's word and the light of scripture goes far beyond anything man can accomplish with reasoning and science and any other things because it gets to the cause of darkness. Jones writes this, he says, the sole cause of the troubles of the world at this moment from personal to international is nothing but man's estrangement from God. We've wandered from him. Later he writes, we alone as Christians have an adequate explanation of the cause of the state of the world. You can listen to the pundits on, on cable news all day long and why this is the way it is and we have a better answer because we understand the depravity of man. This is where the light of Jesus provides that true hope to hurting people because left to ourselves, we are the blind leading the blind through the dark. Offering solutions to problems that we don't even understand. But Jesus, in the light of the truth of Scripture, gives us that true light so that we can see not only the results of our messed up lives, but we can see the cause of it. Our own sinfulness. Number three, he says this, light provides the way out of the darkness. Light shows us how to fix it. He writes this, there is, uh, this is where every Christian should be jumping at the task. Because the problem of man is a problem of a fallen, sinful, polluted nature. Can nothing be done about it? We've tried knowledge. We've tried education. We've tried political enactments. And we've tried international conferences. We've tried them all, but nothing avails. Is there no hope? Man needs to be taken hold of and he needs to get back to God. And it's not just enough to tell them that because if we do, we are leaving him in a still greater state of hopelessness. He will never find his way to God, try as he may. But the Christian is here to tell him that there is a way to God, a very simple one. It is to know one person called Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is the Son of God. He came from heaven to earth to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to illumine the darkness and expose the cause of the darkness and to make a new and living way out of it back to God and to heaven. And so before we move on, I have to ask the questions. Have you believed in Jesus? 
Have you come to know this true light? Have you owned your own sinfulness and depravity? Have you trusted in Jesus to give you new life, to become a part of this new creation? Are you the light of the world? If you're not, my plea with you today is to turn to Jesus. To find in Him the solution to all of the problems that we face. And if you are here today and you would say, I am the light of the world, then to you Jesus says, let your light shine. Let it shine. Most scholars and historians believe that Jesus is teaching this sermon along the shores of Galilee. Galilee's basically a big bowl. And so there's mountain ranges that, that are all around the shores. And maybe it was early morning. I kind of like to imagine it being evening time, something like that, where Jesus is teaching them, walking through the Beatitudes. And I imagine him pointing in the direction of, of any of the many cities that were lining those hills. And, and, and at that time, maybe they were beginning to start lighting lamps in those cities. And you could see a light here, a light there. <clears throat> And he points and he says, a city on a hill, well, you can't hide it. You can see it very clearly in the dark. In the same sense, it's absurd to think that a, a woman would light an oil lamp and then place it under a basket. What a, what a waste of oil. What a waste of light. No, you, you light a lamp and you put it on a lamp stand high enough so that it gives as much light as it can to the entirety of the household. You don't hide it. Yet both of these illustrations are meant to, to lovingly correct us. Because Jesus knows the tendency that's inside of us to hide his light. So that others don't see it. We have a tendency to shy away from being the city on a hill that we're called to be. We have a tendency to hide the light under a basket. And so Jesus commands us, don't hide the light, but instead let your light shine before others. I mean, it's an incredible gift. Why would we not let it shine? Well, I've got three answers. I think there's plenty more that we could talk about, but I think these are maybe three of the top ones I could come up with. One of the reasons we don't let our light shine is we fear persecution. I think this is probably the truest to the original context and the people who are sitting around Jesus as he's teaching this. Because if you follow the story of Acts and you follow the rest of their story through church history, you understand that every one of them were tortured. Every one of them gave their life because they refused to put a basket over their light. James being the first that's recorded even in the book of Acts, the brother of John, would give his life because he refused to stop sharing the message of Jesus. They boldly let it shine. I'm thankful for that. God used their death. God used their blood to continue to spread the gospel message. Our common struggle is this, that we don't want other people to think we're crazy. We don't want other people to think we're crazy because in a world of darkness, believing in 
a biblical Jesus is considered crazy. We had an interesting discussion about this on, on Wednesday night. Uh, set up so well these kinds of things. But even Paul says this message, this gospel message is, is foolish to the world. They think it's crazy to believe in this Jesus. They think it's crazy to believe the stories of the Old Testament and that this God, Yahweh, would do these incredible and miraculous things. And we don't let our light shine because we don't want people to think, that guy's a nut. Additionally, we don't want others to reject us. We fear that our family members might disown us. We fear our friends might walk away from us. We don't want to lose those relationships. I think of our brothers and sisters in the Middle East that this is a very real decision they make when they choose to follow Jesus and they choose to be baptized. Many of them are immediately disowned by their family. They brought shame to their family. They brought shame to Allah, to, to the, the Islam and the religion as a whole, and so they are disowned. A second reason we don't let our light shine, I can relate to this one well. Because sometimes we love darkness more than we love light. Sometimes we don't shine our light because we don't want to shine the light. We want the darkness. We choose sin over Christ. Instead of practicing patience with my kids and my spouse, light, I choose anger and bitterness, darkness. Instead of pursuing purity, light, I choose to look at pornography, darkness. Instead of pleading for greater faith and searching the scriptures and trusting God, light, I wallow in my worry and my anxiety and my insecurity and I ask all the what-if questions I can. Darkness. We love darkness more than light. And every time we choose sin, not only does choosing this sin make it easier to choose it the next time, but it also dims our light. We're grieving the spirit. We're quenching the spirit that's inside of us. When we make that choice of darkness over light. This is why Jesus was so very harsh with the religious leaders of his day. I mean, these guys claimed to have light and truly they did. They had the law. They had the, the, the law that, that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, says the psalmist. But by their choices, they lived in darkness. By their choices, they believed themselves to be pure. And Jesus says, no, 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 you lack the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy. I mean, we can even simply look at it this way. When the true light came, they missed him. They didn't even recognize him. They crucified him because they loved darkness rather than light. And friends, we must be warned that we too can fall in that particular position and be very religious and be very devoted yet miss the light and not love the light and certainly not shine the light. 
But today I would encourage you with these promises if you find yourself in this position. Greater is he that is in you than who is in the world. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you find yourself today loving the darkness, repent and turn from it and turn to the light. Finally, we don't let our light shine because it's work and we're often selfish and lazy. Shining the light of Jesus means that we have to work to cultivate the fruit of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That there's an effort that must be shown. It requires diligence. It requires a vigilance. It requires the spiritual work of renewing our minds. It requires the work of prayer. Setting aside time and being as disciplined as we can to pray making time to, to study God's Word, to get into the Scriptures, making time to, to come to opportunities like this to learn and be taught what Scripture has to say. It's all work. It takes effort to do those things. It doesn't come naturally to us. But it also requires beyond that, the ministry and the service. Discipling other people, which is our call, that takes time. It takes time to engage in the lives of other people. We have to study God's word ourselves so that we can encourage them and feed them. We have to spend time to pray. It takes energy. Stooping down to help other people who are hurting, as we've talked about extensively, finishing up Galatians 5 and 6. Well, that takes effort. And sometimes I just don't want to stop and help that person. I want to do what I want to do right now. I want to love me. I don't want to love them. I don't want to take time to engage in their life. Nobody ever engages in my life. These are the reasoning and the excuses that run through our minds. It requires that we use our gifts within the body of Christ so that we are the city on a hill, so that we are the manifestation of Jesus in this dark world. It requires all of us to use our gifting. Requires all of us to encourage. This is why in verse 17 of Matthew 5, Jesus brings up good works. He immediately transitions from light to good works. Why? Because the good part is the light of Jesus. The works part is get to work. There's some things that you need to do. But Jesus offers with that a rewarding promise. He says, when others see the light of Jesus in us, when others see our good works, they'll turn from darkness to light. They'll glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's astounding. That's not a blanket promise. That's not if you do this every time it's going to happen, but there is... This right here is often the way in which God works and moves in the hearts of other people. We certainly see that in the Gospels with Jesus' own personal ministry. And that is meant to continue in the way we minister to others. 
Friends, there is power in the light. Cast off your excuses today. Stop hiding the light of Jesus from the world around you. Sing that song if you have to. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. As Jesus says, don't fear those who can only kill the body. Don't, don't be uh, controlled by people. Confess your sins today. Repent today of your love for darkness. Turn back to the light. Lay aside your selfishness and begin today to serve our Savior by growing and doing good in the lives of others. We've, we've been talking about that for weeks. I can't make this stuff up to tie it all together. It's not ever my intention, but we're coming off of the hills of the fruit of the Spirit. The good works, the good, the kindness we're supposed to do. It's just another reminder. Don't forget that message. So how can we shine? How can we do good to others? Where and to whom do we take the light of Jesus? And, and right here is the beauty of God's design. Because in our day-to-day, -day, we all shine in various ways and in various circumstances. I don't shine to the same people you shine to. Your, your parents, kids, they see me. Maybe they see me shine one hour a week. Hopefully they see light. They see you every day. Do they see the light of Jesus shining in your life? What about coworkers? I'll probably never meet most of your coworkers. The people sitting around you will probably never meet most of your coworkers. You are the light of the world. Your neighborhood, your neighbors, your, your, your street you live on. I don't live on the same street you live on except for these guys right here. You are the light of the world on that street. It's a beautiful thing that he's done. But since we are gathered as a church and as a city on a hill, I do want to highlight a few specific things before we dismiss today. Some specific ways that we can shine. Number one is by supporting our missionaries. You know, this year we didn't have a missions emphasis like we typically do. We usually take a couple weeks, sometimes four, and we'll focus on our missionaries. With travel restrictions and everything, we just decided this year it's probably not the best to do that, and so we moved beyond. But that doesn't mean we forget our missionaries. That doesn't mean we forget these partners whom we have partnered with extensions of our church who are taking the light of Christ to Brazil. The cool balls are who we're praying for today to Toronto. These missionaries are taking the light of Christ to places that most of us will never go. And we need to continue to support those efforts with prayer, financially, sacrificially giving so that the gospel can continue to move forward. Next Sunday is Manna Sunday. 
That's the Sunday every year that we try to do that every year. Uh, Craig Alsip is going to be here, our missions partner with Manna, and he's going to challenge us regarding our Manna Feeding Center in Fiji and how we can continue to support that. And so I want you all to leave here today asking the question, what can my family do this next year to support that feeding center? Because next week we're going to make a commitment together as a church. So be praying about that. I'm so thankful. Uh, $614 was raised in change by our Awana clubbers to go to those same feeding centers slash Awana clubs. They're all in the same house. What a beautiful thing that our kids are able to be involved in. Second, we shine by sharing the good news of Jesus with hurting people. Sometimes with people who don't even know they're hurting. And please understand, there's no shortage of hurting people. You do work with them. They do live on your street. They may be a part of your immediate family, your extended family. There is no shortage of hurting people who need to hear the message of Jesus. We just have to look, listen. All these L's I keep throwing at you. Learn and love. We have to make the effort because some of the people we know are struggling with suicidal thoughts. They need to hear there's hope in Jesus. Some of the people we know, their marriages are struggling. They're going through some difficult days and some dark times. And they need to be pointed back to the light of Jesus. It's our job to be the light. And maybe we need to make it just a practical goal as a church, but, but individually to look for one person every week. Can you imagine even that? I don't know how many people are here today, but if every week everybody in this room looked for one person to show the love of Christ to, to share the good news of Jesus with, to point them to the light and show them that they're enveloped in this world of darkness. I mean, that, that for you as an individual would be 52 different people a year. Multiply that by however many people are in this room today. We can make quite an impact pointing people to Christ. I think that requires of us that we would pray every day, God, who are those people? As we get up that day, make me aware of the people. Help me to see them. Help me to have my ears open. Help me to be ready to love them and to encourage them. It may be a, a fellow follower of Jesus who's struggling in the darkness, but it may be a person who's never met Christ, who's never known him. Oh, friends, let's unleash the light. We also shine our light by doing good in meeting day-to-day -day needs in the lives of other people. This is something we're called to do. We're called to engage in the lives of other people. A couple weeks ago I mentioned maybe you're in line and, and somebody needs help with groceries and you just buy their groceries. Or you know somebody, you work with them, their car's broken down, they need an extra $100 to pay the mechanic and you have an extra $100 and you pay the mechanic. This week, as a church, we were able to help a young couple who's 
in transition of jobs and in transition of houses and all of their stuff is in a storage unit. And by the end of this last week, they were going to throw all their stuff out of the storage unit. All of their worldly possessions. And we were able to step in as a church and pay 85 measly dollars so that they could have the peace of mind that their stuff will still be there when they get transitioned into their new jobs and homes. Doing good. We can do good by supporting local organizations. We've got a lot of great organizations in our community. There's a lot of great people doing a lot of great things, whether it's People Helping People, the Pregnancy Resource Center, the Community Kitchen. Some of these things have been changed because of COVID, but many of them are ramping to open back up, and we're going to need involvement. We're going to need your time. We're going to need your engagement so that we can jump back into serving the community through these various avenues that are present. God's given me a particular burden for one local place in our community where I really do feel like poverty is centralized, family struggles are centralized, and I don't know that anybody's ministering to those folks. And so pray with me about that. What can we do as a church to have a lasting impact? What are the good things we can do to shine the light of Jesus? And then there's even just this, just doing doing good by loving our community. You know, one of the things that we do every year, and this is coming, and I need somebody to take the lead with this, is have a blast. We go out, and we set up a tent, and we let kids come through a ball at some milk jugs for free. And it's just something fun amidst all the other crazy stuff, maybe where they're getting charged five bucks to do another game at another tent. We're just there to help them have some fun. There's all sorts of opportunities for us. We want to continue to provide those kinds of loving acts for our community. Metaview, we are, we are strong, unified, growing in Christ. I wholeheartedly believe those things, and I want to continue in all of that. But I do not believe we're the city on a hill that we're called to be. We've still got some lights that need to shine. We've still got some good works that we need to begin to engage in. We've still got neighbors who we're avoiding, co-workers who we've distanced ourselves from, who need to hear the good news of Jesus. Let your light shine. Let's let our light shine in this community. Would you bow with me? If you're here today and you, you do not know the light that is Christ, and maybe you're here and you're filled with despondency, you feel the darkness, you see it, you can't move beyond it. Today, I plead with you to put your trust in Jesus. To confess your sins, and when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. We put our trust in what Christ did on the cross, where we are then offered forgiveness. He takes our sin. He gives us his righteousness. 
And he doesn't stop there, but he rises from the dead and offers us a new life, eternal life. And if you're here today and you've never put your trust in Jesus for that gift of eternal life, today, embrace it. But if you're here today and say, I've done that, then are you letting your light shine? Are you letting your light shine in your home? Are you letting your light shine in your neighborhood, in your place of employment, with strangers you interact with? Are you letting your light shine by being supportive of the ministries here at Metaview and thinking of our missions partners and all the good, all the good news that's being accomplished around the world? I plead with you today, member of this body of Christ that we call Met of You. Oh, let's get to work being the hands and the feet of Jesus. I want to give you a moment to pray. If you're here and you do have questions, please feel free to come now or you can catch one of us after the service. We want to answer your questions for you. But let me give an opportunity for you to be responsive to God's word now. Father, it is truly an honor to be called and commissioned to be light. To shine the light of Jesus through our lives, through our service, our good works. What a privilege. Yet it's a privilege that I so often neglect. Because I fear what people will say. Because I love darkness. Or because I'm too selfish God forgive me forgive us God help us to be faithful and diligent to let our light shine because there are people who desperately need it nobody else is going to give it to them Nobody else is going to help them to see that there's hope beyond their trials, their relationships, their pending job loss, all of these difficult things we face. So God, help us to be faithful and true. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.